welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with Lead Pastor John Buckley. Bible reading this morning will be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23, and it's in page 313 of the Pew Bible, if, if you're reading out of the Pew Bible. 1 Samuel 23. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your, ser- your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. But God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horus. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horus and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Then at the Ziphites went up to Saul at Geba, saying, Is not David hiding among you in the strongholds, strongholds at Horish, on the hill of Hekelah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desires to come, desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you, may you be blessed by the Lord, for you have come. For you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, 
and who have seen him there, for it is told to me that he, has very cun- that he is very cunning. See therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information, then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph, ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up there from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Thank you, Jacob and Ben. Appreciate that. You got the picture of the story of what's taking place. If you were here last Sunday, we wrapped up chapter 22, and we were dealing with seeing the repercussions of the choices that were made. We focused especially on the hardness of Saul's heart. Today, as I've been studying this passage, I'm always amazed how God has these principles that kind of hit, hit us right between the eyes. And I hope that as we go into the message today that it will do the same thing to you as it's been doing to me this week. I've entitled today's message, Which Road Will You Take? Which Road Will You Take? You see, we're all presented with choices in life. How do we choose which way we will go? Now, there's big choices in life and there's small choices in life. The small choices in life that we all deal with at some level Uh, or all of us deal with at every level, is uh, we'll start out in the morning deciding uh, what clothes you want to wear. Now, I realize for some of you, you realize you think that's a really big choice, but honestly, it's a small one in light of things. Uh, For some of you, the choice of how to pick out what pair of shoes can be a big choice, but really should be a small choice. We go into the bathroom, and the choices we made about the deodorant we use, am I going to take a shower, am I going to brush my teeth, which I strongly encourage everyone to make, those are smaller choices, but they all have repercussions of some sort. But then you have the big choices in life. What car are you going to buy as far as how much money you can invest in a car or in a house? Am I going to go to college or Botech training or something else? <clears throat> what relationships am I going to invest in? And I do believe those are big choices that we have. Where am I going to move to? What kind of job am I going to take? These ones that hang over us, the ones that oftentimes will prompt us to have discussions with other people as we navigate through those. Big choices and small choices. And I found this, that small choices lead to big choices, and big choices affect the direction of our life. Small choices lead to big choices, and big choices affect the directions of our life. So don't think a lot of times that this isn't going to matter, and that's why it's so important to try to ask ourselves the question, what, what, what the choices that I make, what influences that? Now, if you go down the street here, Main Street, actually this way, down Main Street here, or as is in Pennsylvania, every road here has at least two or three names. Also Highway 29, there's probably another one, but if you go down here and hit the Dunkin' Donuts, and you take a right at the Dunkin' Donuts, and you keep going um, to your right, you keep going straight after that, you will end up in the Gilbertsville area. That's what's gonna happen. If you come to that same intersection, and you take a left, you're gonna end up in the Quakertown area. 
Now, if you take a left hoping to get to Gilbertsville, you're never going to get there. I don't care how winding Pennsylvania roads are, you're not going to end up in the Gilbertsville area. You're going to hit Quakertown and vice versa. When you head over to Gilbertsville thinking you're going to go to Quakertown on Highway 663, you're not going to do that because it doesn't end up that way. And, and in our lives, we oftentimes do that. We come to these choices, these forks in the road, that we have to make decisions about which way we're going to go. And when we get there, when we make those choices, we have to realize that those choices are going to lead us to destinations that we not, might not fully realize when we first take that decision. When we first started the church here, right before I was a pastor at, at, at Faith in Sellersville, and so I lived in Telford at the time, and I would get up, I didn't really have to think about the route that I took when I went to church, which was also my job. So I'd get up and I would just get there. And when, then we started the church and I had started coming up here. We hadn't moved up here. I still was in Telford. You don't know how many times I'm driving my car thinking about something and I'm pulling into Faith's uh, um, driveway there going, I am not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be way over there. This did not work out right. Uh, I've driven lots of times and I'll pull into a place and I'll go, wait a minute, I needed to go do this first. Or I leave somewhere going, I got to drop this letter in the post office box. And before you know what, I'm at Walmart. I'm nowhere near the post office anymore going, why didn't I stop? And, and as we go through life, a lot of times we make those knee jerk, but it's because we along the way have made destination determinations and paths to get there and don't think anymore what it takes to actually get there. And oftentimes in life, the thing that's bigger, if I get to Walmart and haven't mailed my envelope, it's not a big deal. I can go back and do that. If I start to head the wrong direction and it takes me another 10 or 15 minutes, well, then you turn around and you do that. But in life, although we can backtrack where we've gone, there are repercussions for the decisions that we make and the directions that we go in and the places that we end up at. And Saul and David, over and over and over and over again, are showing us, be aware of what influences the roads that you take. Be aware of the influences of the roads that you take. Because we're presented with those choices in life, and we have to once again ask ourselves, how do we choose which way we'll go? So the first thing I want to talk to you about in this passage, 1 Samuel, is I want to talk to you about David's road. David's road, starting in verse number one there. David's road. And it says in verse 1, Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So now if you remember what had happened, if you go all the way to the first part of chapter 22, the last place that we saw David, he was in these forests of Herath. I'm probably not saying the names correctly. And if you want to do a cool study, we're going to hear lots of names that you probably don't recognize of locations. It's pretty easy to find maps, and if you want to kind of track what's going on and the terrain, it's, it's quite an interesting journey. I'm also going to give you a couple of psalms today that tie into the passage that we're not going to have time to unpack. So I encourage you, take note of that when we hit those areas, and take some time to dig in even some more personally on this passage today. David, we know, is on the run. We know that David's got to have been affected to some degree as, as Abathar just showed up knowing that because of things that he had done, there was a whole town that had been wiped out. He lied to a priest. Saul didn't believe the priest when he spoke the truth. And Saul had the whole uh, section of priests, 85 of them killed, and all their families. Tragic, tragic story that we went over last week. 
So you got to get into David's head a little bit and think where he's at. Remember, not too long ago, David was reacting in fear. He lied. He went to the Philistine nation, which he hated because they were his enemies. They even recognized him. He had to act like a crazy man. He bounced off that, and we saw at the end of chapter 22 that he got his bearings again and his faith in Christ and our faith in God and started moving forward in the direction that he should. But I think it's interesting that as you look at this passage here that you see what his immediate responses are when choices come up to face him and he has to take directions on what road he'll go on. Now the first thing we see here in verse number one that we've gone across is that we see that David chooses after seeking God first. David chooses after seeking God first. Now I find it interesting that Saul was the king and this town of Keilah had been attacked. And Keilah was in still the province of Judah, but it was probably about six miles away, which doesn't sound far with cars, but you gotta realize a couple factors. David, number one, is a fugitive. David's got about 600 men with him at this point to fight. Saul, you're gonna find out in chapter 24, we know that just the elite part of Saul's army was 3,000, so we don't know exactly how many that he had, but we know that the army of Israel was much bigger than David's ragtag band of guys. And yet, when the people were in distress, you don't hear them going to seek out Saul. You see them finding and looking for David. Now remember, these people had to have heard by now what happened to all the priests that David had lied to and their families. They had to have heard the stories about David acting like a crazy man already. They knew that, and yet they still chose to go and to seek out David. Why is that? You know, I think it's this way, and it's a good thing for us to remember. We should keep in front of us that we define people's lives by their years and not by their days. Define people's lives by their years and not by their days. I know I've said this before. I don't know how you remember this, but remember when they, maybe they still have them out. I just haven't seen them. The shows where they had like the nannies come in and help like families that had unruly children. I'm being nice by saying unruly, by the way. Um, unruly, and, and, and so these people would like put, let them put cameras in their house. That's lunatic on itself because... I know me, and I know that there's times I do not want to be camera, you know, have a camera on me because of the way I act. So they bring these cameras in the house, and it's no wonder that you see these families who are already stressed out at their worst with these, these, these photo shots. And, and we have to be careful in this digital age that we don't define people by their worst moments. Because we've all, and we will continue to have those kinds of moments. Times when people really drop the ball, they really hurt. They really blow it. And by the way, there's repercussions to those choices. I'm not saying we just wash our hands and pretend like it didn't happen. But I think it's important that the people in our life that we're going to go to in times of trouble are the ones that we've watched their years, not just their days. So when the people of Keli were in trouble, they knew the, tr the instability of Saul. So who did they go to get help from? A guy that they knew cared about them. A guy that they knew loved God. A guy that they knew had a proven record, track record. And so they went to him to help save them. I think that's very interesting. But remember, David is a fugitive. And although it's flattering as it is, 
to have somebody come and go, hey, please save us. Who doesn't want to be the knight in shining armor to rescue the damsel in distress and save the day? But David was a fugitive. And I love what David did. He didn't let just his kind of heart lead him. He went right to the Lord. He sought what God would want him to do. Again, we see there in verse 2, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? We need to make sure that if we're going to end up in the right destination, that we need to make a choice to seek after God in the little things which lead to the big things which impact the directions of our life. Christ needs to be at the center of all that. God needs to be at the center of all that. We need to make sure that we understand that it's so easy to get blinded by everything else. We're so mean to Peter, who's out walking on the water, and we think, wow, how cool, but then we look at Peter and go, Peter, you bonehead, I cannot believe that you took your eyes off Christ. I mean, you, you were doing it. You were walking on water. But before we're too harsh... What if you started feeling the wind from the, wave, from the storms? What if you started feeling the spray from the waves? What if you started looking around a little bit going, I'm doing something that you aren't supposed to be able to do? And he sunk. And I love Christ. As soon as Peter starts sinking, Jesus reaches down immediately and pulls him up. And he's always there for us, folks. He's always there for us. And we need to realize in life it's very easy to get distracted with the challenges of our life, the pains of our life, the difficulties of our life, the hardships of our life, the sin that other people do that affect our lives, the choices other people make that affect us. Folks, in everything that we do, we need to make sure that we're seeking God first. And I have way too many people that come to my office after the fact and go, I wish I would have... Well, let's go there first. Let's get those folks around us that God's placed there to pray with us first. Let's get in the word first. Let's tap into the spirit of God first. And David chooses to seek God first, we see there in verses one and two. What, what does God say? We see the last part of verse two. And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, is there mis any misunderstanding on what that sentence says? David, go and save the folks from Keilah. Anybody that's a parent here has the same question when you say to your child, go and pick up your shoes and put them in the closet, and 20 minutes later, shoes are still there. Or maybe they've been moved even into a more obviously inconsiderate position. Or one shoe is there, and the other one we have, I have no idea where it's at. Or they aren't my shoes, so when you ask me, I just assumed you didn't mean me because they weren't my shoes anyways. Again, if you're a parent, you've experienced some level of that. And God says to David something that I think all of us would go, what does that verse mean? Let's get to the Hebrew of it. You know what it means? Go and save the people in Keilah. Very black and white. But what does verse 3 say then? It says this. But David's men said to him, behold... We're afraid here in Judah, how much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Now they'd follow David. Remember, we're not talking cream of the crop, guys. If you remember, remember back, these are people that had debt that was too much. 
They were distressed. They were depleted. They were discouraged. These are people that were kind of not the ones you'd pick as your number one, two, and three choices on your kickball team. But they'd been growing. But they did what many of us do. They saw the fear. David, we're fugitives. David, we're safe right now because we're under the radar. If we go there, word's going to get out, and people are going to know we're at. You know what that means, David? Saul's going to gun for us. So why don't we just stay here? Now, David didn't get discouraged and go, are you kidding me? You knuckleheads, just follow me. He just immediately, you know what he did? And I love this. David chose to seek God when he was unsure of what to do. My guys are saying don't go, and they got some really good arguments. But God told me to go. But the guys said don't go. But God told me to go. What do I do? I love it. He just went back to God again. And we see in verse number four there. Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Now there's a difference now. Not just go there and fight them. Now God even gives them an extra affirmation. You go and I'm going to give you the victory. You're going to beat them. You're going to beat them. Whenever we're unsure, whenever we're not thinking clearly because of lots of things, it could be grief, it could be discouragement, it could be anger, it could be lots of things. When we're not sure, again, well, I already went to God. Go again. Be affirmed, especially remember back the decisions that you make, they have repercussions on the destination that you reach. And you gotta realize this may sound good right now in my pain, in my frustration, in my anger, or whatever. Frequently that ends up in a really bad spot, and all of a sudden you're in downtown Quakertown going, Where is Gilbertsville? And we wonder how we get there in our spiritual life. So David chose to see God when he was unsure. Then we see as we continue on there in chapter 23, and I love this. So what happens? I know this is going to shock you all. Read verse 5. You're going to blow your mind now what it says here. <clears throat> so verse 5 says, And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Surprise, surprise, he got the victory. I don't think anybody expected that next verse to go, yeah, David went down and you know, God just kind of sucker punched him and he didn't really get it, sorry. Just, just kidding, David. Now he went down, they were able to win the battle, they got a lot of the war pro profits from that, they saved the people, the people were excited because they were saved. Now by the way, this is something I've learned a lot in life. Well, we'll go to that in just a minute. Let me, go, let me finish on this. So we got verse six. Now, I want to reiterate to you guys again, though, the whole concept of re getting reassurance from God. Because look with me in verse number, um, let's see, yeah, where are we at? Verse seven, verse eight now. And Saul summoned, no, let's go back up to verse six. When Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David, to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. And then we see in verse seven, now it was Saul that, David, excuse me, now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. Very, very fearful thing that the guys were worried about happened, and all of a sudden Saul knows about that. So what happens next? David's in Keilah. Saul's coming after him now. So what does he do? Again, I love what happens if you'll read with me in verse number, um, verse number nine there. Let's drop to verse number nine. And it says this, then, <clears throat> sorry, 
lost my place for a minute there. Then it says, David knew that Saul was plotting against harm against him, and he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me to his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant is heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. Verse 12, excuse me, the last part of verse 11, and the Lord said, he will come down. Verse 12, then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender to me? Surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul. And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Now, now, just a minute. These are the guys that when they were in trouble, they went to David to rescue them, not to Saul. And now that David rescued them and actually had a huge victory, and they're celebrating that, and Saul comes after them, God's telling David, oh, by the way, when they come, these people are just going to turn you back over to Saul. Now, humanly, that certainly doesn't make sense. But it's a reminder to us, too, we may very well be let down and harmed by the people that we suspected from the least. <laughs> I mean, you'd think these guys had got to be super excited. I mean, they, we sa- they were saved from the Philistines. They got all their stuff back. This is the time of rejoicing, and it was David that did it, not Saul. And yet God goes, yeah, they're, they're going to they're gonna turn you over. Now, I love that David didn't start getting mad at the key lights, He didn't start throwing his hands up in the air and going, where are you, God? He just kept staying focused on God. Fugitive, should have been hailed as a hero, now being told by God that he's going to get turned over to his enemy. But he keeps focused on God. Now, I love what God does, though, in the midst of all this. Look with me in verse 15. Look at verse 15. And the Bible says this in verse 15. I love the way God cares about us. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David, I'm sorry, David was in the wilderness of Ziph. So you see he's, where his concern's at? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? How am I going to be affected by this? Am I going to be torn apart? Do I have to keep running my whole life? But then he says this. David was in the wilderness, verse uh, 16, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David to Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. I always find this, too, that David saw God send him a comforter. When you choose the paths that will lead you in the direction that God wants you to, and you hit those times when you're not sure if the sun's going to come up tomorrow. When you hit those times when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're wondering if you'll actually make it to daybreak. When your burden seems so big that you feel literally, physically like you're being crushed. I tell people from some of the difficulties I've been in that I feel like there's this darkness that's about this far away and I'm just waiting for it to engulf me. I love the fact that God gives us lots of things to remedy that. And we live in the New Testament era, so we have the entire word of God. You heard Brian pray through one of the Psalms. There's so many encouraging, comforting, strengthening Psalms. 
And then God gives us as New Testament believers the spirit of God that lives in us to encourage us and to comfort us. But he also gives us the people of God. And God knew who David needed to hear from. And so he sent Jonathan. Now sometimes, from most unlikely places, you'll get encouragement. Years ago, my wife and I lost a daughter. She lived about an hour in between my oldest son and my daughter. Um, she was born in between the two of them. And that was a very, very, very difficult time. And I remember at the funeral that there was people that weren't there that I were surprised weren't there, and there were people that were there that I were surprised were there. <laughs> I had an old friend from high school show up. I was shocked. And then there was other people I thought would be there that they wouldn't. And that day, as you go through that thing, those situations, I said, man, thank you, Lord, for these people that are here. And then the scriptures that the pastor, when he got done, I loved it. He gave me the sheet with all the scriptures they used. And I still have that in my office today that I go back to. And I love that his word and the, the God directed that pastor with just the right words that to this day, when I hit those times of discouragement, that they're there. And I love that God knows when we need that word of encouragement from him. Sometimes we need to hear it physically. Sometimes a text is huge. Sometimes it's a phone call or an email or a poem somebody gives me or a verse they share. But he gives you those comforters. And when we go and make the choices to take the road that David took, you see that he sought God. You see that when times rattled his world and he wasn't sure what to do, after he'd already sought God, he went back to God again. And then along the way, God always sent those encouragers to help give him that guidance along the way. God desires for you and I to know what to do and what not to do. He's not trying to have us paralyzed in life. So let's look at Saul's road for a minute before we wrap up our message. If you'll go back with me to verse number six, Paul enters this chapter starting in verse six, and it says when Abathar the son, I'm sorry, verse seven, and it says this in verse seven, I was told that told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. So again, we end chapter 22. Saul still hasn't learned anything. His heart is hardened. He is paranoid on all these situations. And rather than govern the nation that God has asked him to govern, he's completely and totally focused on the annihilation of David. One little guy that he wants to take out of the picture. And we see, as the fear was of the men that followed David, as soon as word got to them that they went to Keilah, I love the way Saul was blinded because Saul chose by assuming rather than seeking. Saul said, oh, God must have given him to him because he's in the city and he's not going to be able to get out of it and we're going to attack him and we got him this time. I finally got him this time. And you're going to hear that over and over again from Saul. I finally got him. I finally got him. I finally got him. I finally got him. You'd think at some point that Saul would realize this isn't what God wants you to do. But he was too hardened. Hey, we got him this time and I think it's amazing how we can try to spiritualize situations and determinations without seeking God's word or seeking counsel and we'll make decisions and somehow we have to fit into a box to say, and this is what God wants. He tries to justify his actions. He doesn't even seem to pass through his mind. Just think for just a second in Saul. 
Why is David in Keilah? Because he's rescuing part of the people that you were put over to govern them for God. He went out and saved them from the Philistines, and what are you doing? You're going to destroy the guy that just rescued your people? You see that his thinking wasn't right, and he justified his actions and distorted God's plan and said, I'm going to get him this time because God has given him over to me. And we know that's not true. In fact, when we have a hard heart or a hurting heart, we assume quickly, we pray selfishly, and we act rashly. I want to say that again. When we have a hard heart or a hurting heart, we assume quickly, we pray selfishly, and we act rashly. That's exactly the way Saul acted. Now, there's some stuff that goes on in between there, but drop with me to verse 14, because we know that Saul headed off to Keilah in between here. It gets to Keilah, and Saul finds out that Jonathan's gone. So that drops us into verse number 14. Doesn't find him there, so what, what do we see happens next? And it says, And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day obsessively, every day. See, Saul chose by his desires and not by God's direction. Saul forgot everything he was supposed to do in order to do what he wanted to do. Now, I hope as adults that we've come somewhat in our maturity, but I do remember when I was a child and my mom and dad would say, I want you to go do something. I was watching something on TV. By the way, this was before DVRs, so you couldn't pause something there. We did have VHS players, yes. Um, I do, but you know, you wanted to watch the whole show. They had commercials. Some of you don't even know what a commercial is, but they had these commercials that stop, which those were the opportune times for parents to give chores to their children, by the way. Um, you can do this real quickly there, but sometimes you get wrapped up in the commercials too as a kid. You know, you might miss a part of the show and they leave it at a cliffhanger, so I gotta watch the whole show and then they advertise the next show. Well, that's a really good show, too, so I better watch that show on top of it. And as a child, I remember many times my parents saying, John, I want you to get up, and I want you to go and take the trash out. One of my least favorite jobs, that was here. The one that was worse than that was cleaning up the dog mess. That was way down here, but they were still bad, because one stunk really bad and one stunk somewhat, but there was both of them weren't fun jobs. And I remember when I had that job, like, I want you to go take the trash out, John. Okay, let me finish watching this show. Famous last words. Come back in. Hey, John, you didn't take the trash. Oh, oh, it's not over yet. Well, the last show is over. I know, but I forgot. Can I do it after this show? Now, sometimes my parents just went, no, you do it right now. And, of course, I joyfully accepted their direction. <laughs> yes, Mom and Dad, please allow me to come and to serve our family by taking this trash out in a way that will please and honor you. I probably did a lot of eye rolling and heavy breathing. Oh, <gasps> and acting as if my body was somewhat crippled in pain and couldn't walk at all, and even perhaps fell on the floor a few times, acting very maturely. And when we get so riveted on something, we close out everything else because it's all about my need being satisfied. And that focus can come out of pain, 
That focus can come out of anger. That focus can come out of bitterness. That focus can come out of jealousy. That we get that focus, that laser focus, and we are all about me. And Saul was spending tons of resources to keep an army out in the field to seek after one guy. How often? Every day. Saul chose by his desires, not by God's directions. The last thing we see is we're going to kind of sum up a part of a story. If you'll work with me again to verse number 19 now. So David's still on the move. He ends up in this land of the Ziphs, the Ziphites. And it says in verse number 19, Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, in the hill of Hekelah, which is south of Jeshimon? I probably didn't say that right. Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire, to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord. Spiritual language again. For you have had compassion on me. Wow, selfishness again. Boy, poor me. You guys had compassion. Nobody else cares about me, but you guys have. Go make yet more sure. I think Saul's tired of running in circles. Go make more sure and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there, for it's told me he's very cunning. No, God was protecting him. (laughs) See, therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with such information, sure information. Then I'll go with you, and if he's in the land, I will search out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. See, I think one other thing you're going to find on the road that Saul went on is Saul chose to poison rather than to protect Saul chose to poison rather than protect. Now, he didn't purposefully go, we don't hear this at least, that he went to the Ziphites and said, yeah, you guys, David's really, really bad and tried to vilify him, but his actions poisoned the people to David. I need to get this guy. I need to take care of this guy. I need to vanquish this guy. And he poisoned the people who should have instead of been producing crops in the field or herding their flocks or praising God in the tabernacle and doing all these productive things. Instead, Saul's poisoning them and trying to get them to go out and to have that same hatred for David and to spend their time and energy and effort to look at every nook and cranny to make sure they can nail down exactly where Saul was at. Be careful, my friends, that you don't poison the people you should be protecting. Hey, I love my church family, then we need to be careful about who we poison rather than protect. Hey, I love my nuclear family, then be careful who we poison that we should be protecting. We need to be mature enough to know that God entrusts us with relationships and with people, and that no matter what happens in those, didn't matter what the Ziphites did or didn't do, didn't matter if the Ziphites were the best of the Israelite nation or the worst, they were put underneath Saul's care, and he had a responsibility to take care of them and not to poison them. But he poisoned them. By the way, if you want to look at this time period, this is one of those. You can look at Psalm 54 and Psalm 63, all talk about this area of Ziph and the battles and the things that took on, took place here. So let me just wrap up the message. I know we've been kind of somewhat disjointed as I try to tell Saul and David, but I hope you've gotten the story together. But look at verse 24 as we wrap things up with our conclusion. Chapter 23, verse 24 says this. And they rose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek after him. And David <coughs> was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness. 
And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness. And look, listen to verse 26. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David has been on the other side of the mountain. And they just went around in a circle. Some commentate, commentators say that it was actually just a big hill, which would make it even funnier, by the way, and also show you even greater how God could protect that man that he cared for so dearly. And then God steps in right at what we would consider the most pivotal time. <clears throat> and it says here in verse number 27, a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. And Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. The Rock of Escape. You know, I don't think we oftentimes do what we can to mark down the memorials in our life where we've seen God at work to remind us we're in those, when we're in those discouraging times. David's now sitting here, and he, you'll see this often in David. He called this place the rock of escape. They got away. Everything looked really bad. There was no keeping going around this. At some point, Saul was going to get smart enough to send his troops in two ways, and he was going to pincer them in there. But God said, I'm going to give you a breather, David. So David doesn't once go, wow, we did it. We outsmarted Saul. We are so good. We got the better spy system than they do. They were really scared because we got some really tough-looking guys. No, David says this is a rock of escape. This is how God saved us. It's how God saved us. And I realize, folks, life can be very, very difficult. Being a Christian does not insulate us from the pain of a sinful world in which we live. It does not insulate us from the pain that can happen even amongst the body of believers. It does, not, it does not insulate us from the pain that can happen in our own nuclear families. But we take little choices that lead to big choices that put us on a direction to end up in a destination. Now praise God that he's gracious and merciful and forgiving. Am I? Am I? Or do I think that person went down that path, there is no coming back? Aren't you glad that God doesn't feel that same way? Because we all would have been cut off long ago. And I love the fact that God restores, but there's repercussions. And Saul could have repented and come back, and God have restored him. And we're going to find as this continues on, that's not quite what happens. If you choose David's road, there is no promise of ease. There is no protection from hurt. There's no pardon from heartache. But there is a promise of his presence. And in the middle of the night when nobody's around, when you feel the most betrayed, when you don't think there's one person you could pick up the phone and call, God is there. His spirit, for those of you that are Christians, is in your life. His word sits close by, electronically or in a paper copy, to snatch up. There are praise songs you can quickly click on. There is a promise of his constant 
presence. There is protection from the devil. 1 John 4, 4 boldly says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I can, Philippians 4, do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The devil one day, folks, will bow before God and say, you are Lord, and he will be done. And we do get pardon from condemnation. David escaped over and over again. And folks, if we have a relationship with Christ, we have been pardoned from condemnation. So Lord, in my pain and in my hurt, give me a large capacity for grace and mercy on others to forgive and restore the way God does with me. And you know what I loved about David is you're gonna see this as we go along in, this, in, in this, the rest of 1 Samuel. Every time Saul came to a point where he seemingly was broken, David immediately wanted restoration of his relationship with Saul. Are you kidding me? Why, because not David was great, but his God was. But if you choose Saul's road, there's a promise of short-sightedness, wounded bystanders, and a fruitless journey. Pretty bleak. It is. So David chose God, and Saul chose self. Now who are we going to choose? Which direction are we going to go? God desperately, desperately wants you to come towards him. If you're here and you've never come to a point where you've acknowledged that you need Christ to wash away your sins and to save you, I encourage you, make that decision today and you will choose a road that will lead to eternal destination of joy and contentment and praise. Christian, as you go on your life, some of us are on a path that's going to lead us <laughs> to being cut off from God and others and bitterness and hatred and heartache. And by the way, sometimes that path looks so appealing. Remember Lot, when the choice was given and Abraham said, Lot, you choose first? Lot didn't acknowledge God. God Lot looked and he saw with his eyes and he desired with his heart and he chose with his emotions and his flesh and his family was destroyed as a result of it. But boy, that place looked a whole lot better than the other direction did initially. Are we going to choose God or are we going to choose self? And by the way, even Christians can choose self over God. Let's pray. Lord, your word is powerful. <clears throat> Lord, there's so much here in this passage that we can glean. And I pray, Lord, today, however we come, that we would be able to learn the principles that are laid out here. Lord, I know how this has hit me, and I thank you for that, even though it was difficult. And I pray that each of us would be able to embrace what this passage has for us. The principles we can glean from what we heard, Lord, the verses that popped out at us, the phrases that grabbed our attention. Help us all here to realize there is hope, but there are choices to be made. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen.